Morning again, everyone. After a few hundred years in Egypt, it's really no surprise that the people of God, the people of Israel, <laughs> should say, didn't look too much like the people of God. So God brings them out of Egypt and begins reshaping his people. As he calls them out of Egypt, he's also making sure to call the Egypt out of them. In the Exodus itself, we see the story of the plagues that many of us know so well well from our Sunday school classes. And we see as one by one by one, God declares through his plagues upon Egypt the superiority of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob above the gods of Egypt. They had no power compared to him. And then as he brings them there to Sinai, he gives them a new way to live. He gives them a law that would make them a separate people, a distinct people, a holy people. Because he knows, he made us, so he knows that as much as our beliefs may shape our actions, it's just as true that our actions shape our beliefs. So he gives them a new way to live. Exodus 20 through 23, it starts with the Ten Commandments, but it goes on beyond that. He gives his people the foundations of this law of Moses. This, this is the mold that's supposed to shape the lives of God's people. And afterwards, this is what happened. In Exodus 24, verse 7, Then he, this is Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Sounds great. But then Moses heads back up the mountain where he receives these instructions for building of the tabernacle. This place where God's presence can dwell among his reshaped, holy, different people. But it seems that 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain was just a little bit too long. And the true shape of the people began to emerge. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who has brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So it goes on with the rest of the reading that we just had. They take their gold rings, earrings, they they melt them down, they shape them into the form of a calf. And all the people say, Look, Israel, here is your God. Here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. You see, they panic. This fellow Moses. I don't know if in the original Hebrew it sounds quite as dismissive as it does in English. (laughs) But this guy over here, this fellow Moses, well, you know, we don't know what's going on with him anymore. Sure, he did all this stuff. Sure, he was the voice of God to us, basically. And sure, he led us out of our captivity, out of our slavery in Egypt. But eh, he's been gone for a while. We don't know what to do anymore. Our intermediary is gone. The one who came and spoke between us and God, he's gone. And so, like 
pretty much all people everywhere, in moments of uncertainty, what did they do? They fell back on what they knew. They fell back on what was comfortable. They fell back on what made sense in a time of uncertainty. And so they form an image. And I don't think this calf just came out of nowhere, as much as Aaron said it did later on. You see, they had spent a few hundred years in Egypt. And you see, the Egyptians, they had this god, Hapis, who just so happened to take the shape of a bull calf and just so happened to be the Egyptians' intermediary between the people and their chief god. Well, this guy Moses is gone. We need somebody else. What do we know about how to have an intermediary? Well, we have what Egypt taught us. And so they make this form of the calf, this bull calf, and then they say about it, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. As if this was the God who led them. As if this was the way they were supposed to communicate with them, forgetting the whole no graven images thing that they got just a few chapters before. The one that they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. See, even God's people have been a little too good at taking the shape of the world around them and then convincing ourselves that we haven't. Convincing ourselves that we're just being the people of God. You know, I shouldn't be surprised anymore when my children teach me things. Um, happens all the time. But it wasn't too long ago that in the midst of Isaac's history lessons, see, he's dealing with uh, medieval and, and early Renaissance history right now. So he's seeing a lot of European history. And seeing a lot of the history of the, the conquest that happens, the battles that took place, the deceptions between peoples, all that went on in what was honestly not the greatest time in world history. And then Christy told me that one day, in the midst of a lesson, Isaac just asked her a question. Weren't they supposed to be Christians? Ouch. <laughs> I guess Isaac hasn't spent enough time in Egypt yet. That innocence of a child can look at what mankind has done, waving a banner of Christendom over it, and look at it and say, wait a minute, weren't they supposed to be Christians? But what they did, that didn't look like the kingdom of God, that just looked like every other empire that the world has ever seen. It happened in Egypt. It happened in Babylon. It happened in Rome. It keeps on happening. We're shaped according to our culture, but we very easily call it Christianity. Guess what? It happened in America. It happens today. We can take the shape of an economic system. We can take the shape of a political ideology. We can take the shape of any accepted cultural norm. Look at it and say, But you see, then what happens when faith becomes shaped to culture? And then guess what? The culture changes. As it always does. And then we get upset. We get defensive, we get angry, and we say our faith is being attacked. 
No, our faith was attacked, but that happened a lot, lot further up the road. The, our, the real attack came when we let those years in Egypt shape our faith and not the word of the Lord. You see, this was Jeremiah's complaint against Israel. Jeremiah 2. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Ever feel like something in your faith, something in your life just won't hold water? Maybe that's not from God. Maybe that's not from the living spring. Maybe you've dug yourself a cistern and you found out the hard way that it's a broken cistern that won't hold water. I heard a preacher recently say that the greatest challenge today to leaders in the American church is trying to make disciples of Jesus among people already converted to the rival religion of Americanism. That one hung heavy in the air for a while. And I would add that it's even more difficult, it's an even greater challenge, because we take this rival religion and we call it Christianity. We may take our favorite parts of who we are, our national identity, our, our favorite parts of our culture, and shape it, shape ourselves according to that, and then proclaim, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. But in reality, it looks like a lot of bull. And it doesn't happen overnight. You see, this happens over the long scale of time. They didn't the Israelites didn't enter Egypt one day and find themselves shaped according to their practices the next. It's that long, slow progression of time that changes you. Just at that moment that you're not looking. You see, the shape of my life comes from the shape of my time. I'm convinced of it. The most foundational unit of my life are the days, the hours, the minutes that turn into those weeks and months and years that ultimately turn into my life and what I fill my life with. As I said before, yes, our beliefs shape our actions, and they should. But our actions are just as likely to shape our faith. So what do we fill our time with? What actions make us who we are? We'll be talking about some of those in the upcoming weeks. But we have to remember that just as the Israelites took their precious gold, they took that precious resource and they shaped it according to their surrounding culture. Well, our most precious resource, it's not gold. It's time. Because it's the one thing that we can't get more of. It's the one thing that we have to exchange to get anything else. I can't buy more time. I can use my time to maybe earn some more money to buy something else. But it doesn't work the other way around. Time is not renewable. The moment that just passed, I'm never getting it back and neither are you. So how do we shape our time? Who tells you what time it is? 
Now you see, there was a time in church history where most Christians, most people who called themselves Christians at least, marked the time according to a calendar that told the story of Jesus over and over and over again. Some still do. Their seasons weren't so much spring, summer, fall, and winter. Those were there, but they weren't as important as Advent and Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. That season of time that leads us back to our retelling of the story all over again. Now, admittedly, unless you grew up in certain traditions, you might not even know that there ever was a historical church calendar. Um, I know I didn't. You know, that's, that's not the kind of thing that we talk about too much, especially in our tradition that has for good reasons, tried to shed a lot of the traditions of men in order to focus on the word of the Lord. But I do wonder sometimes what we've lost when we've let our time be shaped by some other things. If we left a void in there when we set aside those traditions and we didn't replace it with anything else. Now, I'm not really suggesting that some days are more holy than others and we should all go back to a strict adherence to that kind of calendar. You know, I've read Romans 14, 2. Also, it's actually Romans 14, 5. I didn't mean verse 2. It says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. The point here isn't Do we make one day more special than another? But do we make every day to the Lord? Do we take everything that we shape our lives around and do we shape it in a way that is honoring to God so that we take on the shape of our lives rather than the shape of the culture? How do we take the most fundamental unit of life And make it all holy unto the Lord. Because see, we're more likely to have our lives organized by academic calendars or sports seasons or today more and more election cycles. That's the calendar we pay attention to. That's the mold that we shape our lives around. And I wonder what we've lost. I wonder how your Thursday of this past week would have been different if it hadn't just been Thursday to you, but Ascension Day. If you had recognized it as 40 days after Easter, 40 days after the resurrection, when those disciples witnessed something that we sang about earlier, when they witnessed Christ ascending to the heavens to take his rightful place as King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler over the universe, what if your Thursday was permeated by the knowledge that King of kings... Jesus is reigning in this moment. Might have made things a little different. Might have made your Friday different too. And maybe your Saturday. (laughs) The things that we focus on, the things that we mold our time around, will give shape to our lives as well. Something profound happens when we live each day with a conscious recognition that our time is a gift from God. And how we use this precious gift will shape us 
according to either the kingdom of God or the empires of the world. We can look like the people of God or we can look like the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Romans or the Americans or whatever empire happens to be on the world stage. We probably can't do both. Get rid of the probably. We can't do both. So I'd ask you to, along with me, let's ask ourselves some probably uncomfortable questions, some hard questions. Take a hard look at your daily routine, at your weekly schedule, at your monthly calendar. Do they bear the marks of a citizen of heaven? Do I mark time according to the story of God or according to the story of the world? And what they want me to believe. What the world says is important or what God says is important. Be aware that the shape of your time, the shape of my time, well, it impacts the shape of our soul. Because the world is making constant demands on our time. This is not news to anyone. Every moment we live, we feel like there are 15,000 things demanding our attention. And there is one thing that deserves our attention, and we cannot get those confused. So what marks this day as holy unto the Lord? Ask yourself that question today. Ask yourself that question tomorrow. Ask yourself every moment, what makes this moment holy unto the Lord? What makes me a distinct, separate, holy person unto the Lord, not shaped by the world, but shaped only by my God? I hope that we can look at the time that we've used and say, yes, I can see God in that moment. I can see the influence of my Lord on that day. We can say, remember that time. Wow, God is good. But even more than that, I hope that we can together say, today we will rejoice and be glad because this is the day that the Lord has made. And then we can say it again tomorrow, and we can say it again the next day, and we can say it again the next day, letting everything we do, every action we take, take on new meaning and new purpose, because we don't do it unto ourselves. We do it all unto the Lord. If you haven't done such a good job at that, you're in good company. (laughs) If you haven't lived every single moment with a conscious awareness of the Lord God who made you and who rules over all creation, you're not alone. This is not a simple thing that I'm talking about. This is the kind of thing that takes a lifetime of discipline to even come close to achieving. But you see, my God is also the God of time. He is the God of this moment and He's the God of the next. And every moment thereafter... And he hasn't told us to make ourselves holy. He hasn't told us to change ourselves in this way. But instead, he has told us that he will be with us. And in fact, when the Lord left his disciples, he said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Which means he's in this moment. And he's in the next one. He's in the next day. And he's in the day after that. We don't do this alone.
It's not just holy unto the Lord. It doesn't just belong to the Lord, but the Lord is present in this moment and the next with us. So let's recommit ourselves today to shaping our time according to God's story. And we can do that because we are part of God's story. Because we have been adopted as sons and daughters into his family. If you are his son or daughter today and you've kind of forgotten what the family history is. You've forgotten what the family story says. You can live from this day forward according to that story. There's nothing stopping you but yourself. And the Lord will be with you. And if you're not part of God's family, if your life isn't being shaped by that story of God, you can take your first steps toward that today. This family can help you retell part of that story. If you need to be baptized into Christ, if you need to, by your action, shape your belief, go through the act of reenacting the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus as you die to your old self, are buried under the water, and you rise up to live a new life. Your life can tell that story too. You can live and have this day be that first day that is truly shaped according to the story of God. And then we as a family can go forward and shape one another's lives, help our lives together as a church, as a family, be shaped together according to the Lord. If there's anything we can do to help you do that this morning, if there's any need that you have that this church can help you with, please come and let us know while we stand and while we sing.